I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Burn Factory Podcast with Priest and Phoenix Rivera. Listen as the boys interview the biggest names in sports and entertainment. The Burn Factory starts now. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Burn Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Priest, joined by my co-host, my brother, the one and only Phoenix. Say what's up to the camera. What's up, y'all? This is called the Burn Factory for a reason. I was literally caught on fire. 50% 50% chance to live, but through that, started this podcast because I believe every single person out there on this planet goes through a burn moment somewhere in their life. You heard Priest say a burn moment. So a burn moment is a super hard time in your life that you just have to fight and overcome. And me and Priest believe that every single person on this earth go through burn moments that truly build them to who they are. But what an amazing guest we have today. He has truly done it all. He was the Oscar Day Jiu-Jitsu champion he was also the canadian open champion in judo not only is he a stud on the mats but he's a decorated coach he has taught some of the world's best fighters such as john fitch josh thompson and kane velasquez and now he has his own gym called gorilla jiu-jitsu and to top it off he has appeared in john wick john wick 4 and guardian of the galaxy so please give a warm welcome to dave camarillo Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Appreciate it. Welcome. Gosh, the accolade just boom, 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 boom. (laughs) (laughs) Keep them them listening. So, Dave, as I mentioned, we've only been doing this podcast for almost a year now, about 11 months, and we became really close with the UFC and people within the UFC. And so we've been asking about you, and kind of the word that always comes up when we mention Dave Camarillo is legend. So being a legend, being a pioneer of MMA as a whole, like, how does that make you feel? What is, what is your reaction to that? Uh, in, it, uh, nervous. Like, <laughs> I, now I got to live up to that. Um, yeah, I hear that a bit, but I, I don't feel like a legend. So I just, I show up to work every day and just try to fight my way through whatever problem solving for the day. And, you know, when I train with my guys and uh, I try to be as a good martial artist and respectful and Every day is a lesson, whether it's a bad day or a good day. It's it's teaching me something. I try to just live by that. Yeah, and and now the UFC's been around for thirty years, but not even not only just UFC, but martial arts as a whole. Like seeing it grow so fast. Like, what is your what are your thoughts on that? How's it grown? Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, you said thirty years. Ninety two. I watched the first UFC in nineteen ninety two. Um, Hoist Gracie was smashing things up with techniques that we would work on in, in training in judo. And I didn't understand the difference back then. Um, now I have a more experience uh, with that. But it's it's amazing where it's at. It's amazing that uh, both <clears throat> MMA and jiu-jitsu has, has grown so much. It's not just MMA. MMA is huge. Um, but uh, let's not forget jiu-jitsu is, is the more user-friendly martial art where people 
very intellectual people can can uh, have fun with, and and it's it's not going to give you brain damage. But uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, I from watching it in '92 to cornering so many fights at the UFC, um, and then to now training Mark Zuckerberg, who loves MMA. It's a weird uh, kind of thirty years that that I've been a part of it. Um, it's it's just, it's a little surreal, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy to see how far the game has come, though, from just straight standing up and banging to no rules to you see a lot of jujitsu now and wrestling and instead of just pure MMA now. Yeah, you almost miss the old days where it was just style versus style, and that just doesn't exist anymore. Like, yeah, even defending wise, like. If if a guy fights uh, a jiu-jitsu guy, he's going to be using jiu-jitsu to defend against it, you know. So everyone is doing everything, and it's going down to now they're not just martial artists and not just uh, learning different skill sets, but they're uh, Olympic style or Olympic level athletes. Um, they're taking every aspect of their fighting serious, and uh, it's amazing. Same with jiu-jitsu. I mean, th- these are Olympic level athletes, and they're really good at choking you you know what yeah. i mean like that's right. a very amazing thing that th- these people can do yeah it's crazy oh, oh go ahead. i was gonna say it's crazy how much jujitsu has really became mma you look at people like charles Oliveira or our good friend like diego lopez when you have that such threat on the ground even off your back it makes you start to second guess hey well maybe should i take him down should i go to the ground to his world so it's really cool to see how jujitsu has evolved in its own thing but also integrating it with mma yeah and you're still seeing like Still, there's styles. I mean, like, for example, Khabib. You knew he wanted you on the ground. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see how he evolves to, you know, uh, be subversive enough to get you to think he's doing one thing and he does the other. Um, so, yes, everyone has evolved, and it's amazing, and we can't go backwards in time. But at the same time, there's still strategies that that make it still amazingly uh, interesting to watch and try to predict. Yeah. Do you think there's ever going to be a time where it's going to be a little too unfair, almost, for one guy? No. Um, I mean, look at Ronda Rousey. We thought that she would just be champion forever. That's and true. and yeah. I've seen so many situations where this person is unbeatable, and I'm like, I remember doing a interview way back on how to beat Ronda Rousey, actually, um, and how to beat her is winning the clinch, and the, the interviewer was like, well, don't you want to avoid the clinch? Well, yes, but if you only try to avoid... You're, it's like you're living in fear in that mm-hmm. in that moment. And what did Holm do is is won the clinch and outstruck her. So um, it's never going to be unfair. I mean, there's amazing athletes and um, styles that are very difficult to crack. Like it, basically, it's like, what problems am I presented if I'm fighting GSP or Adesanya or whoever? And it's like, well, if you're showing up to work that day and you got that fight, that's your problem. You could better figure it out. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like. Um, and the money they're making, I think, is is a good thing, and it's it's motivating people. And training camps are getting better. Uh, coaches are just absolutely amazing these days. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's fun. And the recovery is getting a lot better than what it used to be back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm from the generation of recovery was just complain. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you didn't maybe, know recovery. Maybe ice it. It it's not the same. Not the it, same. This is yeah. a, there's a whole science behind it right now. Back in my day, it was like. Go to sleep. Yeah, wake up. <laughs> That's some, some ice on the wounds and, and not complain and like. Um, but I think it's not a bad thing. I mean, in my day, people were just because they didn't understand recovery, they were just tough. You know what I mean? These days, I think um, they're smarter. You know, some of them may be smarter and not as tough, but if they have both of those toughness and they're smart about the recovery and how they train and training partners, really good training partners, a large part of that um, mm-hmm. for longevity. Then those are the champions. Yeah. The ones that had figured that out, those are the champions. Yeah. Do you think people were more mentally tough back then compared to now? Or I think everyone with gray hair would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> um, like I said, though, you know, people are extremely intelligent about their approach to everything they do these days. So, you know, there, there's outliers that, that are combining both the mental toughness of how their parents treated them and how they raised them back in my day. Because today it's it's just night and day. It's very different. Um, I'm learning that as a parent, and uh, but it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting how the culture adjusts to the the uh, uh, overall pool that the UFC has to draw from these days. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's super interesting just how MMA has evolved, um, but especially with your story. So let's get into that. So on this podcast, we do use the acronym BURN. So each letter is kind of a different time in your life. So starting with B, B is the beginning. Take us back to the beginning, your childhood. Was there any burn moments that you had to overcome that ultimately got you to where you're at today? Well, let me let me just preface this. When you said burn, you said something that was extremely difficult to overcome. And I'm like, I'm looking at my life, you know, I've never had anything remotely close to what you've preached, what you've dealt with. Um, and then I have a lot of buddies in the special operations community. I can't relate to them in certain things that they've done in their, in their uh, lives and have experienced and uh, have witnessed and bring with them every night when they go to sleep. Uh, for me, I think every day was a, you know, burn light, like, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Like a light burn, um, the way I grew up. My dad was pretty hardcore. He wanted Olympic champions. I grew up when I was age of five doing judo. I trained judo five days, a, no, six days a week. My dad bought, uh, br- uh, built a eight, eight, no, six car garage in the back pasture. And we had a dojo. So we'd train five days a week at the rec center. And then we'd do a Saturday, uh, you know, in the, in the big dojo area. Um, and I mean, prior to that, we would just lay mats out. I remember hitting my ankles on, on concrete. It was a different time. It's like, you know, very unsafe, you know? Um, and we trained really hard. And then, um, by the time I was 19, when I started jujitsu, I trained six days a week, my day off, I did jujitsu. So when I was 19, I was training every single day and I was driving, from uh, Fresno, where I lived, two and a half hours to Pleasant Hill, California, where Half and Caesar Gracie trained, and then I would drive home that day. So that's five hours in the car, and then they would keep me after because they realized I had some skill because I could throw everybody around, whatever. Um, and so like, okay, we're gonna invest in this guy, I think. And so I spent hours and hours there, and then I would drive home. But then I started seeing that uh, where jiu-jitsu was paying off in my judo, and. Uh, I would start destroying everybody on the map because judo wasn't very good in that area. You mm-hmm. have jujitsu, yeah. you know, specialties yeah. on the ground. And then um, and then I grew up from there. And I, I think my whole career can be summed up by uh, ADD. Like I get really bored <clears throat> really easy. And I have to keep, you know, searching for something. Yeah, you searching know, for something new. Yeah, to me, life is about well, what, where's the next adventure? I'm done with this. Like, okay, I got to find... Yeah. another adventure and so like i went from judo to jujitsu to mma to combatives to stunts um you know and i'm i'm trying to find the next thing you know yeah. you know while keeping sanity and having a family and you know so things slow down a little bit but uh all these priorities um so my beginning was just hard i i spent my summers in japan <clears throat> training in Japan. Um, I remember I got asked to prom, believe it or not, back in the day. And I said, I, no, I can't go. And she's like, why? And I, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to Japan. And she's like, well, prom's this weekend. And I'm like, yeah, I, I leave tomorrow. And so my whole life, my, or my summers were spent in Japan training judo for the whole summer, um, where we would do a camp. Um, it was four practices in one day for five days straight. Um, and it was just brutal. It was brutal training. Um, my el- I had no skin on my elbows because we do the crawls all along the mat. They would just rip off and they never healed. Um, the four practices were 7 o'clock to 7.30 running. And then I was um, didn't speak Japanese, but I would act like a freshman, which means I would lay down the placemats for everybody to eat and the silverware, and I would eat last. So by the time I ate, I would hurry up and eat, and then we'd have randori practice for two hours, 10 to 12. And then we'd finish that, and then we'd have come back at three to five, uh, randori, tachiwaza, which mm-hmm. is the stand-up technique. Yeah. Um, and then I'd come back for uchikomi at night for an hour. Um, so that's five and a half hours of actual training, you know, scheduled a day. Um, and I so I learned early on to, to just outgrow whatever environment I'm in, I need to outgrow it. And so who's the... Like at San Jose State, Jose Ben Cosme, a buddy of mine. When I got to San Jose State Judo, Jose and Chuck Jefferson were the toughest guys there. So I'm like, okay, well, however hard they train, I got to train that hard. And so me and Jose would do this thing where we train five rounds. We'd do like 12, it's crazy, 12 five-minute rounds. 
you know God. how hard judo yeah, is. Right? Yeah. We do the first five with each other because there's nobody else in the room that would even come close to training that hard. And it would it'd be like a round off for me to train with someone else, you know. So I'd I try to hunt down Jose, hunt down Chuck and and do what they do with with the lifting and the running practices in the morning. And um and so that's been my mentality forever. And that's I think that's what my dad wanted. It's just whatever environment you're in, just outgrow it and then move on mm-hmm. and keep keep hunting. Yeah. How'd you never get like burnt out of doing I did. That? I did. I got burnt out of competition. I retired um from competition after my most successful year ever. So I I won the Canadian Open. I think it was ninety nine. Don't quote me. Ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. So long ago. <laughs> um a few weeks ago. So and then I, I took third in Europe. It was an A level event. And it gave me my A. Uh, it was the Italian Grand Prix. And I uh, won every match by Epone. I was on fire. Um, but I lost to a San Jose State guy who was representing Puerto Rico. Super good dude. But anyway, um, I was on fire. And then I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to compete. I just don't. I don't like the stress. I don't like what it does to me. I don't like how I treat people. Um and I, I, I never just really took competition seriously after that. So I absolutely did get burnt out, but I didn't get burnt out of training. Um, I never will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to like, you have, I just say it like you, you, we have struggles and our mind wants to go a certain direction. And if I don't train, it will go there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have to be stronger than your own mind. Uh, back to like your dad, you said that your father was very like hard on you and he wanted two Olympic champions. Did you ever feel pressure from him? Like going into competitions, like, man, I, or that whole pressure of just like, I got to make an Olympic team. I got to be an Olympic champion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I think it was a good thing. I think, you know, I had, I had a, I'm not going to say hard childhood because like I said, it's, everything's relative, but compared to how I treat my son, it's, it's like night and day. And uh, some people ask me, well, how's your relationship with your father? I'm like, it's, it's great. Like, yeah. yeah, I have no, like, like, it's awesome. Like, I, I don't know that I would be able to, and I don't know, maybe, but I don't know that I would be able to do the things I'm doing and just keep saying yes to things. Um, You know, working for the military, like, they're like, hey, can you do this? Yep. Like I say, yeah, I only say yes. And so, for example, my record there is teaching... Uh, I taught like uh, 12 hours straight with no break. I had water. That was it. And the reason is because I just kept saying yes to what they needed. And I put them first. So um, that's how I confirm these relationships is I'm never late. I'm always an hour early and I'm ready to go. And I'm like, I will fight anyone. And uh, you can tell I'm getting excited about it. But like, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that. I would be able to do those things. I don't know, maybe if I didn't have such a rough childhood, not bad, Mm -hmm. just rough, hardcore, you know, winning was my dad wanted me to win. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GamePresents today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GamePresents. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. 
and Stan we do over three whole episodes of our podcast Becoming an Icon we're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans sharing hot takes and telling her story listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network iHeart open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me Jay Harris that you won't want to miss Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so that's it. Yeah. All right, Dave, it's time to go to U and burn. It stands for unfortunate. I believe there's many unfortunate things in life, but through those unfortunate things, sometimes the best things can come out of them. Like myself, I was unfortunately caught on fire in a school science experiment by my teacher that went horribly, horribly wrong. That blew up like a bomb in my face. And I spent a week in ICU, had seven surgeries with a 50% chance to survive because of burns. The swelling is so bad and they're worried about my breathing stopping. And whenever I found that out, because I'm 13 years old, whenever I found that out in the hospital, I was like, I was very scared because I'm trying to fight for my life and I didn't want to die at 13 years old. And I was like, what's the one thing that's going to bring me joy in the hospital? And I had my brother and my dad and my mom go get my golf putter and I'd put a golf ball into this glass jar over and over and over, all hooked up to all the IVs, couldn't even see because my face was swelled shut. And I truly believe if that burn moment doesn't happen in the hospital, I don't have this podcast, nor am I talking to Dave Camarillo. Yeah. I think some of the hardest times in your life really build you to who they are. And sometimes it doesn't directly affect you. Like it didn't directly affect me, but seeing my brother and being on the outside of it, it's really hard to see because, like, that's my little brother, man. Like, he's 13 years old and just getting super excited, really getting into golf. And I know in recency with you, you've gone through some unfortunate um, times. And so um, can you just dive into that and some unfortunate burn moments? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I, I mean, I can't imagine going through that. Um, when I'll just talk about career-wise, when I, when COVID hit, I had a school uh, for 14 years. And me and my wife, it was a family business, kids' classes, and it was a family academy. We had 500 students in March 15th of 2020, and that's the day they actually shut the schools down. I was actually doing a seminar in, in um, Helena, Montana, and I was flying home. I remember flying home, and it was crazy. Um, but I'm one of the lucky ones, but, uh, we try to save our school and basically it comes down to, um, landlords, do landlords care or are you in a position where you think you can take a loan? Um, my point of view was, uh, I don't want to take a loan like that because this is, there was no certainty of anything. Our, uh, county was... I mean, we we're like drawing those lines of, they call them social bubbles. Yeah, and we like had, the 60 yeah. Old, rule. Yeah, and so we're, we're trying to save our school. We're doing Zoom classes, which doesn't work very well <laughs> with jujitsu. But anyway, we had 500 students. It was a successful school, and then it just, we lost it. We couldn't hold on to that, so we vacated. We're just like, we can't do this. Like, this is not going to last. Um, and so the first time in my life, I think, I saw the sun go down. What I mean by that is ever since I was five or ever since I could remember, I would be at judo practice or jujitsu practice at night, like all the time, you know? So during the week, I, the first shock to my system was like, I'm actually home at night. And it's just a weird, just a super weird feeling. And I'm like, man, this is actually pretty nice. Cause I never thought, is this nice? Do I want that kind of life? Um, I'm like, wow, this is pretty nice. But uh, like I said, I was lucky. Like my burn moment was I didn't have a job for the first time since I was 15, you know, and that's just a weird feeling. Um, 
So we went on a two-week vacation. And my wife's like, you're irritable. Get out of here. <laughs> so I went to L.A. and uh, hung out with Chad Stahelski uh, to train. He's the director of John Wick. And I had somewhat built that relationship prior. And I just wanted to go train. I never had aspirations to be a stunt guy. Um, and then literally that September of 2020, like a month after I closed my school, he brought me to the office and um, talked to me a little bit. And he's like, all right, let's make this official. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And uh, he pulls out a notebook and a pen. I still have it. It's a black notebook with a red pen. And he's like, you're going to be a fight choreographer for John Wick 4. And I'm like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is a fight choreographer? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I'm like, then the pre you talk about pressure. Um, it's my first rodeo and I can't screw up and I'm fighting for my job every single day. And like, so all that pressure when I was a kid, it just, I think my career is lucky. Um, yeah, I've worked really hard, but like, who gets a job a month after they lose their job? Yeah. That's this, like, of this magnitude. Um, so my burn moment was, I think, is represented in the severe, what I would say, massive pressure for 14 months that I was on the project. It was 14 months long. Yeah, so I was in, pre I call it pre-prep, and then you have prep, and then we go to shoot the movie. So. Yeah. September, I, I moved to L.A. in 2020, and I didn't come home from Jordan um, November 14th of 2021. Wow. And so I was doing almost seven days a week for 14 months. I was doing six... I did seven days a week until I moved until I moved to Germany in March of 2021. And then I was doing six days a week. We shoot nights. There was two months. It was brutal. There's two months where, we, where I... I uh, and Chad's like, you're not going to... He's trying to prep me for this because I'm the only guy there that's never done this. Like of the core team, like most of them have been on John Wick 3. You know, Jeremy Marinas, amazing. He was my fight coordinator. Mm -hmm. Amazing. That guy's um, he's top tier, uh, you know, fight coordinator, director, um, martial artist. Amazing. And he's my boss. And I had Bruce and Lee and they were a part of the core team. And um, they've, they've done it before. They've, this is... This is, for me, my first rodeo. And there was two months, um, I think it was about two months, where my average sleep was three hours a night, three to four hours a night, like consistently. Um, and then there were certain parts of that where I was up 24 hours. Because of the schedule, like if you work six nights, because when we're on set, um, it's always, John Wick kills people at night. Yeah. And it's yeah, always it's raining. All night. Yeah. That's true. And the yeah. reason why it's raining is because you want to, it's good for the lighting, the DP, like it's good to reflect light. So it looks beautiful. That's why John Wick movies look beautiful. He's running in the rain. And it's, and it's also yeah. the, the story of constant struggle. Yeah. Like it's just constant. Like he, he, you never see him sleep. You never see him hang out. It's just constant people are hunting him. Um, and that's that's literally the story of working on that film. It's just, it's just con go, 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 go. And so we would work nights. And if we work six days a week and we work so with six nights... Let me try to do this right. So Saturday night turns into Sunday morning. I get back Sunday morning, seven in the morning. So I'm in, I leave at night traffic and I'm coming home after work in morning traffic. Mm -hmm. Well, I work Monday for a whole new week, but I work Monday night. So there's really no day off. Yeah. Does that, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah. yeah just full. And then it's hard to acclimate. So the problem is I'd go to sleep, I'm going to try to do this Saturday night because I would just default to nights to sleep, wake up Monday morning, not get back from work until Tuesday morning. And so I'm up 24 hours. And I'm not saying anything like it's tough. This yeah. just, it's just, that's a Chad show, we call it. Yeah. Like if you're on a Chad show, you like, maybe you need life trauma prior <laughs> to be able to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, it's, it's going to test your, your fortitude for sure. But for 14 months, it was just, the most brutal um, job I've ever done in my life, by far. It's not even close. Like, yeah. and that's why we're so, I'm so proud of it. You know, I'm proud that I didn't get fired. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, again, totally. like this is my first show, and like, well, who's this guy? He's a judo guy or whatever. Um, let's see how he does in stunts. I mean, I've been hitting the ground since I was five, but now you're hitting concrete and you're hitting. I hit a stairfall. 
Um, uh, I did. I did more. I did. I won an award actually for doing 126 dog hits um, during. Mm-hmm. Most of them, obviously, in prep, but I did two on set. One made the film. What's um, a What's a dog hit? So, have you seen the film? The fourth one. Yes. I don't I've seen like so. clips of killing it. me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. Uh, fine. I'll watch it tonight. Watch it tonight. A um, little bit of a spoiler. There's a poker scene and uh, a dog jumps on the table and then kills a bad guy the bad guy's me basically a dog hit is when you take and i've worked with these dogs before in special operations they're um, malinois okay it's a german malinois okay the reason why they use those is because they're highly trained they're, they're very fast very aggressive looking um and extremely smart this particular dog's name is britta like the water she was the best one super fast super precise um basically what you're doing is you wear this tug it's like a chew toy, but it's green. Mm. So in post, they can just remove it. And you're wearing it on a belt. No, it's actually tied to you on a thing. And all the dog cares about is that chew toy. That's it. And so when they release the dog, the dog just, and it doesn't even, they'll show it. Like in the scene, like it has to jump on the, so it can't see it when you say action, right? Yeah. They, I walk over, they show the dog the tug. Hey, this is Dave with the, the stunt guy with the tug. I walk back over where it can't see me, it kind of has an idea. So you're splitting hairs here. It jumps on the table, jumps up, and just wants the tug. So when it's biting and eating me, it's eating the tug. The tug. Huh. But it looks like it's eating me. And I have oh. to act the whole time. And the problem is, is I started, you know, I always want to kind of like impress, not impress, but like do my job. My job is to try to impress Chad. Not that I want to impress him. It's like my job is to push the limit die the most violent death possible um be there like support your other stunt people and and just and act you have to act so what i started doing is what we call a uh, feather fall where you throw yourself up in the air and your shoulder hits we do that on concrete um when you take a reaction you do basically ukemi the best ukemi in the world is stunts it's not judo yeah um because they fall for a living they can't get injured but they're so I would do that once the dog hit me. And it would look really good because it would throw the dog over to my left shoulder. The problem is, is it would throw the dog. And if the dog loses its bite, it might rebite. And I'm throwing it next to my carotid. So do you love Selena? Like really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So basically, I have to hit my mark. I have to break my fall as the dog 
comes in because what you don't want to do is be sturdy and it'll hurt the dog. It'll like a like a it'll like fold the dog up and it won't want to do that anymore, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it need when we do dog hits, it's coming in a thousand percent. We need to break down. So there's so much timing involved. Um and so you got to get past that the teeth to even be able to lock your senses into that timing. Anyway, I hit the ground and I'm throwing it to my carotid and I have to act like I'm dying, but I'm actually protecting my carotid by putting my hand up. Because if it rebites, I actually have to push it off to protect yeah, yourself. Myself and then anyway. Um that's crazy. And I did 126 of those. Wow. I did one where I got dragged down the stairs and I had to put my back plate in front and you're like doing this down. It's just gnarly. And it's like every day, like, I, lo- I love those dogs. <laughs> yeah. those, do- yeah. oh, the, those dogs are just, oh my yeah. God. If, if any movie ever wants a dog hit, like just sign you up. Find me on Instagram. I'll go do it. <laughs> yeah. Like I will want yeah. to do a, a lion hit. That'd be awesome. Oh, a lion. Yeah, why not? Like a wolf. Like, what's next? Do you know what I mean? Bear? <laughs> that's, crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. How long were you, how, were you shooting seven days a week for this movie? Um, some, uh, there was one week where we, well, there, you have SAG, so the uh, Screen Actors Guild. There's regulations, like, and you get overtime and stuff like that. Um, most every week was six days a week. Six days. There was one seven, but we were, it, it had nothing to do with SAG. We were, so what we would do is, there's a lot of action scenes, sequences, so if there's action, we're on set. We're supporting the action or we're in it. If there's mainly dialogue, we're in rehearsal. Whether we're with Keanu working, getting him, keeping him sharp or other actors or coming up with cor- the choreography we call previs. Um, Jeremy's, that's what Jeremy's job was to keep us moving on the previs. Um, but yeah, six days a week when we're on set is all nights, never during the day, almost never during the day. How did they get the rainfall? Was that just like effects and stuff? That no, they have, a, they have a rain guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you have these water machines that okay. you don't see. Yeah, they're obviously it's like the boom higher. mic. You don't mm-hmm. see, you know yeah. what I mean? But also like they wet it down. So if it starts drying up, they'll have a guy come in and wet it down. And then they'll pull back and they'll do the scene. And like for my stair fall, we, we do these high dense. It's kind of like mats. And they have adhesive on the bottom. And they'll layer like stairs, for example. So we're all padded up, but they also will layer the stairs with these high-dense foam. So when you hit it, you're not getting full impact. The problem is the adhesive doesn't do well with water. And it's in John Wick, it's always raining. So they after the third, I did nine stairfalls when we it was one action sequence, two take, two angles, six all the way down, and then another close-up. Well, it just rips off. So like I'm like, there's no time. Like you really learn a lot when you're on set. There's no, we we're running out of daylight, and we're running out of nighttime. Yeah. And we got to get these setups. We got to just keep it's just go 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 go. Um, you're either doing that or you're laying down in a puddle dead, and that's your job as a stunt guy. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, you learn a lot, and yeah. it's just it's just go. How'd your body hold up? Um. I couldn't close my guard when I got home. Um, you're So when you're in it, like we call it a long run. I mean, that's 14 months. But when you're on a long run, and again, I'm new, but like my first real job was John Wick as a stunt guy, right? Which is like the pinnacle. You know, like all I remember from the movie is just bodies flying in the air. Just every day. Just stunt guys flying all over the place, landing on concrete. Um um, but when you're when you're in it, you become, at least for me, the most mentally strong probably version of myself that I will ever experience. It there, there's just no doubt, and it's because I'm fighting every day to not get fired. Um, Chad is really good at, um, gosh, he's like a, <laughs> good at life lessons, mm-hmm. um, and he was mentally preparing me. This is pro, this is in pre prep. He's like. You're going on John Wick for the first time. I need to talk to you. He gave me a book. The book was, uh, and I suggest you guys. I, I should have brought you guys a copy of it. But what is it? Um, the Old Man in the Sea. So it's the 130 pages. It's easy read. Read it in one sitting. But it's just like about a fisherman that. And read the book. It's Hemingway. It, it. You want to talk about passion and just grinding it out? Like 
that's the book. And so he wanted me mentally prepared for what's to come. Um, and he said, <clears throat> I'll never forget. He said, uh, he's all, Dave, don't forget. I go, what? And he goes, <clears throat> everyone's replaceable. You're replaceable. All the stunt guys are replaceable. I'm replaceable. The only person on this project that's not replaceable is Keanu Reeves. Cause he's John Wick. Yeah. He's the only guy like, if he goes down, they'll they'll bring another director in. You know what I mean? It's not going to be even my opinion. It's not going to be the John Wick we all know. But and and I think for people is that's very <clears throat> that's very difficult to hear and be like not be. I think for some not be offended. Like how am I? Like that's the thing you're telling me right in the get go. <laughs> yeah. But without that message and i think everyone should hear that without that message it's like your default would be i'm not fighting for my job i woke up every day and just fought every single day on that 14 month trip to not get fired because i knew that's my failure that's my failure <clears throat> if i get fired i absolutely failed on this project and that can't exist it can't happen I am not getting fired. They're not sending me home. <clears throat> and even then, towards the end of the movie, the reason why I got the stairfall is because I fought to get that stairfall. They're trying to preserve me. You know, here's a over 40-year-old stunt. Like, what do you... Who becomes a stunt guy at like 45 years old? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that's why I fought. I'm like, I didn't do enough stunts because everyone's doing car hits. I didn't do a car hit. And I, I chickened out. And they'd go, well, we're not going to let you do it anyway. Because the car hits are no joke. Cars coming in at like 16 miles an hour. There were guys getting, you know, Tobinagi? Yeah. If you watch the film, there's a Tobinagi where he throws him into a real car hit. Oh. So the car's coming in. It's a Tobinagi and he just slams into a car and he's got to act. Instead of bracing to not get injured, he's got to act and make it look like he really got hit with a car and he, now he's expired. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's got he's to look like that. And so I just fought for everything and I just wanted to get off that project. I took a picture of myself. I took a selfie when I was on the flight coming back from Jordan. And I'm just like, my face was like, like I got hit by a car. Like I just, and so by, by the time I got off, I couldn't close my guard. I remember running in class where I, I was like, oh, I'm back to jujitsu. I'm running and went to Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu Turlock without, um, Alejandro, uh, one of our black belts, one of our affiliates. And I'm running around a class and I trip. I'm that guy that tripped and couldn't even run. And so I'm like, oh, man. I, I, so I went to rehab. I had to rehab my body. I, I walked, watched that knees over toes guy. Oh, yeah. I even messaged him. Thank you so much. I'm like, I need to seriously get back to being in constant rehab. Um, and now I'm like, I'm great. I can spar, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Do you think everything in your life kind of prepared you for that grueling 14 months? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Like like I said, like my dad, um, uh, won't go into some of the physicality that I experienced with my father, but like, man, I just hug him. Like, thank you for making it so rough <laughs> yeah. you know uh -huh. because like you know i made it through john wick four yeah you know what i mean like that i feel very proud of that but uh that's a that's a family win i feel like most like i said at the beginning the unfortunate times in your life and especially covid covid is very tough for for everyone it really just builds you and just prepares you and i think everything you go through and life really prepares you for what's to come and everything in your life has prepared you for that grueling 14 months and even maybe another project that might become in the horizon for you to do i don't know the fifth one the sixth one whatever how many long <laughs> how many more they they do keanu um, will be 70 yeah <laughs> literally yeah. he would be 70 this portion of the burn factory podcast is sponsored by phoenix salon suites please visit phoenix salon suites at p-h-e-n-i-x salons s-a-l-o-n suites s-u-i-t-e-s dot -E -E com to find one near you 
as you guys may know, I was tragically burned in a school science experiment by my teacher that gave me a 50% chance to survive. And through that, I have to wear sunscreen every day for the rest of my life. And as being a golfer, the brand I trust is Kula. Man, look at this bottle. Kula, this just screams beaches, waves, and sun. So let's give this a smell. <sighs> the nice Man. wind of a Tropicana breeze. This is smelling like Hawaii, our favorite place. So next time you guys need sunscreen, go get yourself Kula. You'll thank us later. But it's time to go to R. R's a little more light. It's ridiculous. So being on set, all your judo tournaments, all your jujitsu competitions, was there kind of a ridiculous burn moment that you went through? Yeah, that's that was the most difficult one. I do have one. It was on set, and I was in a scene. Um, it it was a quick hero moment with Keanu Reeves and me. It was like the only time we were. It was just us. Um. And I'll never forget it. I was laying down dead. Go watch the movie. Um, it's 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 good. It's a good movie. You should watch uh -huh. it. But uh, there's a, there's a scene where there's a lot of water, and I'm laying basically in a puddle. Where I'm soaked. The water machine's right on top of me. Um. And he just did a fight, and he's, you know, the John Wick hair and the and the and the he just it's yeah. all suffering. It's just soaked, and he just beat this guy up right, and. Knowing Keanu, like, and like I've been training him since December of 2020. Like, he did six months of prep just to be John Wick. It's incredible. I, you know, he worked harder than most fighters I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've seen, I've worked with Daniel Cormier. I've worked with, they work really hard. This, I'm sorry, but this is another level. This is just another level. This isn't a fight camp. This is like, he morphs himself into John Wick. We all did. And he's got all the water, and 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 he comes alive. The colder, wetter, you know, more exhausted he is, the more he comes alive. It's it's just, it's incredible. And if he's that alive, and he's what fifty eight. I think he was fifty seven when we he had a birthday on set. Fifty seven. Then he just lifts us all up. And you talk about like your network. Like I need to show up to work and and. There's someone there that's like, I'm glad you're here. Like, now I'm like, let's get this job done, right? And he's that guy, right? And he's got all the water, and I'm laying down, and they're like, and he's just, it's a hero shot. It's just, you know, close up, and I'm, I'm just like right off to his left. And they're like, and cut. And I'm like, okay, cut. I can get up. I start getting up, and I turn towards him, and he looks at me, and he goes, welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> 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 I tried not to like be giddy, you know uh -huh. what I mean? Like try to be cool. Yeah. But that was it that was just like amazing. Yeah. Almost like a so real moment. Yeah. How was my uh Keanu Reeves? Was it was good. It okay? It was good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been working on it like all night last yeah. night. Yeah. Really? No. No. <laughs> terrible. You nailed it. It's funny when you talk to him, it's like, man, every character comes out because like his voice, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's got that voice. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's funny. How how early into the shoot was that? Uh pretty early, right pretty after early. the dog hit. Right yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was the uh, club there was a club scene. That's that's the club scene. We had like 250 or 300 extras. And they're all dancing and we have to create this circle the stunt guy circle because there's a fight. And so we're dan I'm, I'm, I'm dancing, and you can see me dance. <laughs> yeah. um, but basically, it's like liability. Like if we get kicked, we're okay. Mm -hmm. But if an extra gets kicked, you know what I mean. Like you don't mm -hmm. want them to get yeah, kicked to get because hurt. that's not a good thing. So, yeah. Interesting. That's huh. funny. Yeah, I'll, I'll for sure go and watch it tonight. Then. Yeah, I know, you got you got me curious. I really want to go watch. Yeah, it I die like seven or eight times in the movie. So <laughs> just keep coming back. Alive. I almost had him. <laughs> so like I'm like I'm gonna end the movie right now. <laughs> yeah, this right. is ah. Oh, then I died. John, uh, John Wick dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the fifth one. Yeah, maybe no, that's, that's funny. But back to Keanu Reeves. You said that he was the hardest working. Was it just because he was so driven for this movie, or why do you think it? He was so hardworking, or is that just him? Like everybody see everyone. The question I get all the time is, is he really that nice? Like he's an absolute sweetheart, but like you're not going to outwork him. Like he's the hardest working actor there for sure. 
You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, um, and he elevates everyone in the room because in prep we have all, all the other actors with us at times, and they see how hard Keanu's working, so they they want to try. They're inspired, you know. Um, but he's 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 amazing. Yeah, yeah. just mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing what he can do. It's just incredible. What was the training in prep for him? So. We did a lot of, I mean, we wear geese because geese, obviously geese don't rip. It's like us, he wears a sport jacket, right? Or a, yeah, a suit. like a suit. Um, so we did a lot of that. Um, I was brought in to train him to be one of his head trainers. So they, in, if you look in the earlier uh, movies, and uh, Eric, he did an amazing job with him and, and trained him in, in two and three, I, I think. Uh, Eric, I think Eric Brown, yeah. Um, and the style, again, from what I understood, the style is more load bearing. So it's lifting, you know, that lifting, slamming yeah. judo. And they, mm-hmm. um, I think when Chad was putting this whole thing together, he wanted judo. Judo was the, right. Um, by the time as he ages, you, you, you want actually more Aikido. What I mean by that is I was brought in because they saw the way I did my judo was very, um, dynamic. It's fast. Um, and I was being vetted. This is prior to me getting hired, obviously. But um, they're like, "Give give John Wick your style." I'm like, "Okay." And so I, I came up with three main throws that were that were not load bearing. And basically, what that means is he's not carrying the weight of the stunt guy. So a lot of what is happening is the stunt guy's timing, acting, and hitting his hitting his mark timing, um, and then hitting the ground violently. Um, so. I gave him, uh, what was it, like four throws. Haragoshi, Uchimata, Sasai. Those are the three main throws. Oh, and Osotogari. And each of those, the way I do it, it's not load-bearing at all. And it works perfectly for a, we call it Sayuchi, which is a side fall. I call it the flower, because you flower up. When you take a fall, what a stunt guy wants to do is is kind of open their body as they fall. Um. The best stunt guys in the world are Chad's stunt guys. So uh, it just fit. It was a puzzle piece I think Chad saw, and then he's like, Dave, will fit this puzzle piece. And so like the training consisted of a lot of throws. I had to learn Aikido. So when I first got there in September, I had to. I was in the parking lot um, at 87 uh, at 5 in the morning. I was the first guy there for until I left for Germany. Um. And then I had this other guy, Micaiah, Micaiah Chow. He's just an amazing stunt guy. Like he's young guy. He was young back then and he, he's still young, but he's young back then. And basically he became my partner and he was so fluid and we got so in tune with each other. Just amazing. Just like it'd take us a few weeks to get back to where we were, right? Um, but he met me in the parking lot. And so it's dark and we're in the parking lot at this stunt gym and we're, I'm like going over Aikido. And I did that uh, for months and months until Chad finally gave me a key. He's like, <laughs> he goes, what are you doing? I go, oh, well, this morning, I, he goes, I saw it. And I go, there's a camera. I didn't even know there was a camera on me. And basically, you can see all the Aikido I'm doing. Um, anyway, I had to learn Aikido to mesh it with my style. And then with ju- jiu too, they also liked my dynamic jiu-jitsu because jiu-jitsu is boring on, on, uh, for movies. It just doesn't sell well. You have to have a certain type. Um, so if you see Keanu jump in the air and do all these flying bow and arrows and stuff like that and Imanari rolls that came from... Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, myself and Jeremy, we both trained him. Um, but it consists of doing that and then adding the choreo and then the gun work. Yeah. So I went to Terrence to shoot with him. And the, Chad also saw that I've been, because I've been working with guns since I was a kid. So, I mean, I just think I had all the skills uh, that made sense for me to be in that position. I wanted to ask you about this because you have an interesting story on how you really started jujitsu. You were at Fresno State and you had the knee injury. And then you started doing jujitsu. So how hard was that time for you? Really hard because my dad was totally against me doing jujitsu. Like he's just like anything that gets in the way, you know, in, in the way of me making the Olympic team. He just felt it was a threat. Like I couldn't play football. Um, I was a pretty de- decent receiver in PE. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the coaches were like, well, we want you to play, try out for the football team. I'm like, I can't. You know, my dad would just be a blocker. <laughs> but then I started doing um, fast forward. I, I hid it from my dad and I spent that extra day without him knowing doing jujitsu. And I started doing like flying arm locks in competition. I just started just hurting people actually because I'd hit the arm so fast. My dad's like, he just loved it. <laughs> so I just, it's not that I was upset. I just had to prove it to him that this is a valuable um, addition to what I'm doing right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I got the knee injury and I'm like, I started jujitsu and I'm like, ah, I saw him health Gracie fight in extreme fighting way back in the day. And I just like, well, how different is it? That was my question. I needed that answer. And so I, I experienced it. Yeah. How beneficial was it integrating jujitsu? Um, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like we talk about like MMA, like if, if, I can't be striking, then I take you to the ground. So in my ju- judo competitions, I would just, I, they knew the threat was on the ground. But the problem is, is they would be so afraid of going to the ground, then it would open up the foot sweeps. Mm-hmm. And so I would just throw people I would never throw normally. Like if I would just went at them, Tachiwaza, and they didn't know I had ground, I would never throw them. It, it just messes up your head. So the transition, um, the speed of judo, I did jujitsu at that speed. So like it just, it, I meshed it really well. And the problem though, back then is I, I'd have been a better competitor if I'd spent more time pinning people. But my mindset was like, I'm a finisher. Yeah. Why am I wasting my time with Osaikomi? Like, why am I pin, trying to pin you? Now I pin, try to pin everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm, I got to tire out these young kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. These dang kids. Yeah. You at a young, I mean? at a young age, did you ever want to get into mixed martial arts eventually? I did uh, two fights. Um, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. But like, I don't really even consider it. They're like way back. Um, I did a tournament. So I fought oh, nice. twice in one night and won the tournament. Oh, arm barred both guys. Um, like I said, when I went to AKA, I'm like, I'm either going to fight or become a coach. And I'm like, I don't, and I'm glad because I, I don't think, might take heat for this, but I don't think fighting life is a good life. It's a tough but life. It's it's not. I think it's. I think it's good. It's not good for me. But I, I I see a lot of. Like I saw every aspect of it. You know what I mean. And then the aftermath years later of you know what are people doing now, that used to be a you know amazing fighters. And I think the problem with fighting, and you could say this is about anything. Like it could be Hollywood, but. There's too many people think thinking you're amazing. You know, 
wow, you're so amazing. You do you fight. And it gets in your head and you can't get it out of your head. And you don't make proper decisions as you get close to maybe retiring or whatever. And then you lose a fight and then you chase the fight to try to get a win or you chase a a, a a paycheck. I mean, I guess I'm just outlining everything that's difficult in most uh, fields, but my advice to people who are fighting is like, don't consider this a career. I tell my guys, I'm like, this is not a career. This is a hobby. You can be passionate about your hobby. You can go 1,000% in your hobby, but 0.1% of fighters actually make it a career. Like, learn from it, take that, and and develop something on the side, and that's going to probably be your career down the road. The chances of people making it in fighting is like football. Yeah. And I think that's like, I, I I wish some of the guys I used to train would could understand that. You know, I'm like, so I made so going back to my decision to not want to fight is, I'm really glad I made that decision. I I'm glad I didn't live the fight life. I mean, I did as a coach and a training partner, but. Um, I listened to my wife, really, like, <laughs> yeah. and all the stupid things in my head that was trying to drive me in certain directions. My wife's like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Even now, it's like, am I going to go be a stunt guy the rest of my life, or am I going to provide for my family? Yeah. Because living the stunt life, that's all I want to do outside of family. Like, that's, a, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I have withdrawals. Yeah leaving John Wick 4. Like, absolutely. The hardest thing I've ever done in my wife, life. And I watched the movie and I'm just like, okay, like, I just want to do that. Yeah. Let's do it again. I just want to do stair falls until I'm 55. Yeah. <laughs> it almost becomes addictive. So like, you know, I think if you look at like, like fighting, I, I'm going to repeat this. It's not a career. It's a hobby. You know, like, and that's like, I think most sports, it's not, it's a hobby until it's a career. Like you make millions, okay. But like it's tough. That road is like, and you gotta have a certain, like I said, we talk about trauma. You have to have certain burn moments that have, I think, fueled you. You know, if you feel anger because you were treated a certain way, you, you gotta turn that around and use it as fuel. And if you don't have enough fuel in the tank, you're probably not cut out for to make fighting a career. Do you think a lot of fighters now make it a career instead of a hobby? No, most don't. When you watch UFC, you're watching the top less than 1%. Yeah. Like top 10 fighters are less than one. Like how many people have you never even seen fight that are pushing, pushing, pushing? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I just think it's smart to say, oh, this is, this is, I mean, and I'm not saying don't go 100%, but, and be passionate, read, you know? Um, uh, the old man in the sea, live it. Yeah, but I, it's just not like develop your teaching ability, develop your relationships. Um, I think those are are extremely important. Did you enjoy the two fights that you did? Like being in the cage and having that feeling of fighting, or was it something? That well, you're like, ah, that, I'm okay. That's a half was like half was awesome. I, probably the best instructor I could have ever had at the time, Half Gracie. Um, I show up and I'm like, I can't fight. I'm hurt. So I'm like, I'm not fighting today. He's like, okay. We show up and he goes, well, he cursed at me. And he said, <laughs> put your cup on. I go, for what? And he goes, you're fighting. And they go, okay. That was it. Saying yes. And so like, there was no time to be stressed out. It was just like, I went in there and just smashed it was cool. I don't know. Good experience. I, I, I think I'm not crazy enough to make that, like, to be a fighter. Yeah. There's a certain level of crazy. And I think my crazy is pretty crazy, but it's a different... I mean, it's pr pretty crazy that I did John Wick and I did all these things. But, like, I don't know if it's, like, something deep-seated. Like, i got to prove myself. I don't know what it is. But I just, like, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. You know? I'd rather yeah. be a coach. Yeah. Like you said, you have to have a certain level of, like craziness and, and trauma just to like to fuel it and if you don't have that then yeah. I don't think you can be a successful fighter yeah and that's a compliment you know those people are crazy I'm like dude go yeah like I have a ton of friends that are crazy 
And the military's like You're crazy. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool to be crazy. Yeah. That I like being surrounded by crazy people. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know. It's cool. It's cool to see the evolution of MMA as a whole, though. Just continue to get better and better. And you get so many more people that are into it now. It's I think amazing. it's testament to co- to COVID. COVID it, really just yeah. exploded. Yeah. MMA. It was on its way, but COVID made it amazing. And it, it's true. It's it's like I mean, that's the toughest, it's the king of sparring arts. There's nothing close to MMA. Jiu-jitsu's amazing for longevity. It's amazing. It's you know, dynamic problem solving. It's safe, much safer. MMA, like when I spar with these jujitsu guys, I just, they, it, it's a, you're, you know, they're playing checkers. We're playing like speed chess. Yeah. With daggers. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah. different. It's, it's different, a whole huh? different game. It's different. Yeah. But all right, Dave, it's time to go to N. N is kind of two parts. It's now and next. So are there any burn moments that you're going through right now in your life? And there any burn moments that you see coming in the future? Um, burn moments that I'm going through. Well, my mother passed away and I appreciate you guys like being really uh I'm sorry to hear that. That yeah, yeah. Um it's okay. It's uh it's it's a part of life. Go hug your hug your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's uh, like I said, I don't have trauma in my life, but like that's the most difficult thing I've ever had to deal with. It was a like four weeks where it was really rough. Um, but I learned life is a gift. You know, like I told my son, he, my son, um. When he realized people die, we're having this conversation, and he's like, he's like, Ba, Ba is dad in Chinese. Ba, you're, uh, are you going to get old? I go, yeah. He goes, are you going to be a grandpa? I go, yeah. He goes, are you going to die? And I go, yeah. And he like, lightning. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.